Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is the Ocean Protect podcast, talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. Bridget Mullaney, welcome to the Ocean Protect podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. Really excited to be here. Looking forward to having a chat. What do you want to chat about, Bridget? I mean, this is the Ocean Protect podcast. What do you want to chat about? That's an interesting question. I thought you guys were going to drive that, but (laughs) obviously water, education, um, and how we change behavior to do with both of those. So yeah, that's what I I hope we're talking about. I expect that's what we're talking about. (laughs) We have a a history of going off on tangents, it has to be said. We'll try and keep it on track. But first up, you're all calling from Sydney today. Sydney, Newtown, the Keep Australia Beautiful offices on King Street. It's a beautiful day. The sun's out. And we are going to get stuck into this Keep Australia Beautiful New South Wales shenanigans. So as a side note, Bridget is a sustainability educator at Keep Australia Beautiful. So before we dive into your backstory, which we will endeavour to do, we've got an amazing international audience. So what is Keep Australia Beautiful New South Wales to start with? We are a non-for-profit organisation. We're based in Sydney, the, the New South Wales part, but there are um, branches of Keep Australia Beautiful throughout Australia. And for us, our main focus is on waste and waste management and behaviour change. So um, we do a lot of work with schools. We do a lot with, uh, yeah, Do the Right Thing campaign, um, Litter Congress, all of those things to do with waste and education and behaviour change. Very cool. And look, we're going to dive into this environmentalist program, particularly the, the Keeping waterways clean module but how did you get involved in all this shenanigans because i see you're actually a, <laughs> you're, 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 got, you're a phd candidate as well as a sustainability educator but how did all this interest in you know i guess trying to save the planet and water <laughs> the ocean is probably my life's passion i've got a yeah I, it took me into my undergraduate in biology it took me into my honors project to do with fisheries just the ocean in general is my life's inspiration I love being in the water. I love, yeah, I love everything that it gives me. I love everything that it gives to other people. And that's what draw me um, onto this path, I guess. But I've always had a passion for working with people. And I guess that's what got me into education. And I think kids are so funny. I think kids are going to save the planet. That's my... That's why. <laughs> well, the kids need to save the planet because we're certainly not. <laughs> so you're t- like you're an environmental mentor. So can you explain a little bit about what you do and how you do it? Because I mean, I, I know you, I actually know the office that you're in. I've been there before. Brad knows it, but for our listeners, give us the one hundred and one on on what you do, what your role is. 
I'm a part of the Environmentals Program. I'm one of their sustainability educators. Basically, what that role means is that we will run sustainability workshops for um, yeah different clients, whether that be council, whether that be a um, a sponsor or um, etc. So it's um, yeah it's it's workshops we are running, whether it be keeping waterways clean. We go into schools, we head out into regions, and we might run a week of workshops to do with a certain sustainability topic, and then we'll come back into the office um we'll yeah so it's it's mainly working with schools with high schools sometimes community groups and running sustainability workshops is the main part of the job i'm keen to know about it particularly this kids you know program the keeping waterways clean module so you're going into schools and the reach that you guys have is incredible like i remember seeing the stat the numbers and you can probably rattle off the top of your head but they're like thousands of thousands of kids all across New South Wales. What does a typical day look like when you're going to these schools? You rock up, you got your, I guess, Keep Australia Beautiful New South Wales shirt on, and then what happens? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we rock up, we try to find our contact teacher. Sometimes that can be the hardest part of the whole day is to find where you're going to be setting up and doing the day. And yeah, so the way that it will work is depending on how many kids are at the school, because we work in regions where there might be five kids at a school, or there might be 600 kids at a school. So, it will really depend. Um, and then we will yeah, head in, we'll set up for the workshop that we're going to be running. They'll run for about an hour and we'll be doing activities and workshopping with those kids on the topic. And then that'll be the end of that session. And then we'll move on and we'll, we'll work with another another stage. So maybe if that might be, yeah, might do kindergarten in the morning and then we might do year two in the middle of the day and then we might do year six at the end of the day. That is amazing. It must feel like a traveling circus. Like, yeah. Like- <laughs> Um, yeah, it, it can do. It definitely can. I really, really enjoy the regional stuff that we do with the regional schools. I love heading out into places that you would probably never have gone otherwise and working with yeah, 10, 10 kids at a little tiny school. Um, and I find that those schools are really responsive and really grateful for the, for the learning that they get. So yeah, no, I love it. And yeah, and every single day is different. You never really know what's going to happen or how kids are going to respond, but usually most days are 10 out of 10. What age groups the the best and what age group is the worst and why? It definitely depends um, where you are, but I would say year nine is the worst (laughs) (laughs) to teach. I feel like they've just... Harold's year nine, sorry for our international... Yeah, so um, a year nine student, I guess, would be about... 14, 15. Okay, we can understand why. Yep. Um, but I love working with our primary school kids, our year fives and sixes in primary school. They're my favorite. I think they're just old enough to be able to expand on some of the things that you're talking about and to be able to understand it and really like move with you through that knowledge. I like the primary school kids. I think they're, but working with all kids is, is awesome. They're a little That's bit more challenging answer. at times. Yeah. Correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> all kids are amazing. How much of the course changes depending on how old they are? Because, you know, if you go and you're teaching the little kids uh, in the morning and then by the afternoon you, you have to upgrade the offering to them. I mean, tell us about how you adapt to that or do you not adapt as the same story? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely um, to do with the kids. And the thing is that you need to be really ready to adapt at any moment because a year one at one school might be the same as a year three at another school, depending on, on how they're going with different concepts and what they've been exposed to and what opportunities they've had to learn about different topics. You definitely have to adapt it. And, and when it comes to just say you're talking about water eutrophication, 
you can't use that word with a year three student. Maybe you can use it with a year seven, year eight student, but for oh, those I younger kids. I try not kids, to use that term with Jeremy as well. In all seriousness, that's a great question, actually, because like I teach at universities. Well, I've been teaching environmental engineering students for, for 16 years now. I'd say 95% of them wouldn't understand what eutrophication is. And Jeremy will have a significant experience around this. Like we've gone around to how many different engineering companies, stormwater engineers, and most stormwater engineers don't make the connection between ocean pollution and stormwater. Whereas I remember going to one of my, uh, I've got a niece who was nine at the time. A shout out to uh, Miller. I'm sure she's listening. Camp Hill Primary School. Uh, I, I would have talked to about <laughs> two or 300 nine year olds around ocean plastic pollution. And they absolutely know where it's coming from. They know exactly the impact that stormwater has and the connection between our, our land environment and our waterways. So nine-year-olds have a really good understanding, whereas 30, 40-year-old stormwater engineers don't. Brad, sorry, mate. We've been doing this show for a good number of years now. Do you think that's the case now? It's a great question. Certainly, people who listen to our show have made that connection. Whether they listen to it or not, I think they know what we're talking about. <laughs> It'll be interesting to know from Bridget's point of view, what is the reception of the kids? Um, are you going into anyone's? I mean, I know one of the, the great little stands that you have where you pour the water down the top and it comes out. I don't know if you still got the, that one, but it's great. It shows you what stormwater does. How are the kids or how receptive are they to this? Do they have blank faces or do they you know, have a level of understanding before you come in? And I know that's going to depend on age groups, but from your point of view, is the level of understanding coming up? Are people becoming more aware? Definitely. I think that the kids in our schools at the moment, they're onto it. I think that compared to when I went to school and the things that I was taught in primary school and high school, I think that the kids at the moment, they definitely have a higher general understanding of sustainability issues. I think when it comes to water, like every kid ever will talk about straws and in turtles noses or like that is something that's very like in the minds of kids these days which I think is a really good thing but I think the problem is people my age people a little bit older than me that didn't get the exposure to understanding like how our water is connected to the ocean how our waste gets there um, I, I think that's where the gap is I think kids these days they are at a much higher level than um, I ever was in primary school or high school, which I think is really exciting. And I think that is a source of optimism in my life to think that we are making a change in schools. And I think it's definitely, they know it's wrong. They know that litter in the environment is wrong. They know that it can get into the water. But I think just really explaining how every area that you're in, no matter where you are, can connect back to the water is something that I think that's their like, oh yeah, if I'm in a car park, if there's litter on the ground there, I understand now that that can get in the water. That might be a place of like them learning, definitely. I think in general, they have a higher awareness of yeah, sustainability issues than, than my generation, definitely. That is so interesting. I'm, I'm keen to know, obviously, education has been a key part of that improved understanding in the younger generation. But what education methods from your perspective have actually been the most effective? So is it, is it watching cartoons? Is it people like yourself coming into their classrooms? Is it their parents? Is it watching, I don't know, Netflix documentaries? Where, where, where are they getting their information from to 
uh, improve their awareness of these issues? I think you've named every single platform that it's coming from. I think in general, yeah, kids are going to like they're going to copy what their parents are doing. And one of my not so much favorite story, it's not a great story, is that we were doing the keeping waterways clean module and we were talking about how litter can end up in our environment, right? How plastic gets into the environment. And we like go through like, yeah, the wind can blow it there, water can wash it there, people can put it there, or animals can move it, right? That's what we try and like get that across to kids. And this kid put his hand up and he goes, my pop throws his chip wrappers out of the car window. Like, and like, <laughs> I know that, like people put it in the, in the environment. And I was like, yeah, that's right. And I'm like, so what are you going to tell your pop? Like now that we've learned about this, he's like, oh, like I'm going to tell him not to do that anymore. I'm like, that's a great idea. And I went back to the same school the next year and that kid came up to me and was like, guess what? I told my pop to stop doing that and he doesn't do it anymore. That is cool. I think things like that, they get it. And I think kids have the most power, like buying power or like what's the statistic that in the household kids are pushing a lot of those things. So I think that it's coming from schools. I think teachers have a really big power in how kids interact with our environment and how they respect or don't respect things. And I think, yeah, it's coming from parents. I also think, yeah, cartoons and how different things are now pushing, yeah, like better practice for the environment. I think it's coming from everywhere. Um, and I think it's important that it comes from everywhere. It's interesting though, when you get told off by a child, when it's something, when a child says to you, don't do that, you know, you're like, oh, okay. So, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's so powerful. And something that I learned is, is kids actually go home and educate their parents. They go home and go, what, what did you learn today? Well, I learned this. And a lot of the times, you know, the, the kids are learning new stuff. Obviously, the parents haven't been to school for 20, 30 years or whatever long. But when they go home and start creating change from some of the stuff that you guys do, that's the most powerful stuff. That's awesome. It's magical stuff. I think with our modules, like teachers are getting a lot out of it too. Like often at the end of a session, the teacher like, I didn't know that. Like I'm going to put that into practice in my classroom. Everyone just needs a reminder every now and then about not getting lazy. Just that little reminder that this can have a big impact or... Yeah. You mentioned the, the Keeping Waterways module. Full disclosure, Ocean Protect are a proud sponsor of this module. Uh, we've been supporting it for, I think, about three years now. That's something we're very, very proud of. And But I'm keen to actually know what it involves. <laughs> what actually happens in a Keeping Waterways Clean educational module? I'll paint the picture for you. So we've got a big grey board that stands up. It's about seven foot tall and we, we set that up in, in a hall or in a classroom, wherever we are. And the start of that will be getting kids across the difference between our sewage system and the, the sinks inside our homes and the difference between that and a stormwater drain. So that's kind of the first point that we try and get across. We look at the difference between polluted water, clean water, and we, we show them some big uh, blown up photos of the difference between the two and where water goes. So that's just to get them across like the difference between the water in our home being treated and the water outside of our home not being treated and, and why we've got to look after those drains. So that's how we kind of set set the scene at the start with the kids. Then we go into, which uh, you mentioned before, we have a catchment model. So it's a big, well, not, it's not really that big. It's a model of a catchment. So it's got some hills, it's got a gully, it's got a river that moves through it, and that river then moves through a town, through some farmland, and then out to the ocean. So we use that just to show kids how water moves through an area. So we get a watering 
drinking can and we will put that over the model and we'll watch how the water moves. So we'll, we'll look at how our natural environment catches the water and moves it down to our oceans. And that's, again, to get kids to be, okay, wherever I am, our water is going to make its way to the ocean. So that's the next thing that we do. And then we introduce some litter and some pollutants into that catchment model. So we use food coloring. So we'll put a bit of blue and I'll often ask the kids, I'm like, what's this going to represent? And they'll say, that's going to be the KFC bag that I saw on my bushwalk the other day. And I'm like, okay, so that's going to be that. And then we'll say, where else have you seen litter in the environment? And they'll say, oh, on, on, in the gutter, in the car park. So we'll put some food coloring there and then we'll do the same thing. We'll get the watering can, we'll put it over and we'll watch how that pollutant and that litter moves through our environment. And again, that's just to get yeah, get the kids to understand that no matter where you are, if you leave something out in the environment that shouldn't be there, it's going to make its way into the water. We bring the kids back in and we read a story with them. So this is uh, the main catch, uh, keep on ways claim. We mainly run this with primary school kids. We read a story with them and that story is called The Tale of Two Creeks. In this story, different community members do things that are bad or good for our catchments and for our waterways. So maybe Calvin, the farmer, might be letting all his cow poo wash into the river and then we can talk about algae and how that can happen. Or then we talk about maybe, yeah, who else? Oh, Margaret washes her pesticides down the drain. As that story is going along, we get the kids to come up and we've got a big bucket of like a, like a big uh, fish tank. It's plastic. And we add the same pollutant into our water and we watch how it changes over time as the story goes along. And then at the end of that, sorry, I'm getting very specific, is that we talk about having nets on drains and having a litter catch and we get someone from the class to come up and to try and clean the water. And then that is to show that maybe they might be able to get a few of those hard pieces out, but the colour of the water has changed. So no matter if you let things get in the water, it's often really hard to get them back out. So that's kind of how the lesson goes. They're the three main parts of it. So that's keeping waterways clean. That is awesome. Um, but that is so impressive. I reckon you could take that into state and federal parliament and it would be a good place to start. I'll say, I'm no, no, no. I, 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 you bang on. I reckon you're right. Because you've got to keep it simple. And what you guys do is keep it, you know, to the age group. But, Brian, you're, you're with me on this. It's something visual like that to actually show adults what's going on. I mean, Brian alluded to it before. We've spoken to some pretty smart, higher people who thought that, when it went down the drain, it went to a wastewater treatment plant. Yeah. And I'm talking high-up politicians. But my head's just going. And the way you're describing it, there's a lot of complex things you're talking about, but the way you're communicating it is just so easy to understand. It's so effective. That's a really important thing, right? Like, I think that behavior change comes when people understand things. And if they're confronted by it, they're going to shut off and they're not going to come on that journey with you. So keeping it simple and keeping it... Nitrification. Yeah. 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 It's always good to expand. There's always a few in the class that are happy to come along on the big terms and remember yeah. those. Keeping it simple and keeping it non-judgmental and allowing those kids to be like, yeah, if maybe you've done something or left something on the ground in the past, but that's okay. Like now that we know, we can change our behavior and, and we can keep moving forward together. So yeah, I think keeping it simple and um, yeah, the actual materials that we've got, even though they are so simple, they are really, really effective. And like I said before, that story about the boy and his pop, I think that's a really good example of how keeping waterways clean module actually harbors like proper behavioral change in our communities. How effective do you think this 
module is, well, I guess fundamentally, number one, do the kids enjoy it? But number two, do you think they're actually really learning something from it? Definitely. Yeah, I think at the start of the catchment model, everyone's like very distracted. They're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like there's tiny little cars and there's tiny little trees. But then by the end, once we start really talking about it and watching the water move, I think kids understand it and they're like, okay, yeah. So no matter where I am, our water connects us all. And something that I do in our catchment area affects everyone else in the catchment area. So I think it's about just getting kids to be like, oh, yep, my litter, my responsibility. Do you know how many kids you're actually reaching every year or as part of this Keeping Waterways Clean module? Yeah, no, I I couldn't give you an exact amount, um, but I definitely think it's something that's increasingly being asked for by schools. And But yeah, it it would be in the thousands. People like, they like that data, you know, how many people we actually reaching. Just going back to it, so how long does this course go for? Like when you hold up the big grey bit of wood and (laughs) is it a one-hour module, is it a two-hour module? I mean, you've got to keep these kids amused. How long is it? Yeah, so it's, it's about an hour. And that's kind of the, ex- okay. yeah, that's kind of the attention span, I think, for most kids is that hour. And um, during that, especially with our little kids, we do try to get them up and like, there might just be a moment where we'll just have to be like, everyone stand up, run to that wall and come back just to get that energy yeah, yeah, out and yeah, come yeah, back yeah. and sit down. But yeah, ab- about an hour. I have to do that with Brad all the time. <laughs> I've actually just looked up the numbers, which was given to me by Keep Australia Beautiful. So in 2021, recognizing that most of the state was in lockdown, you still reached 150 classes and reached 3,750 students, which is incredible numbers. And I guess the next question was, how did you guys operate during the COVID lockdown? So obviously, you can't go to this interactive sessions as much. Was it basically just pause for a while or were you, were you trying to do the online stuff like everyone else? No, lucky for us that teachers were really really hoping for some interactive learning at the time. And so we found a, like, I guess a piece of software that we could do moving. Uh, so it's like a Zoom, but you've got um, the story moving with you as you do the Zoom. So we were able to do that story with the kids and we, we'd send out the list of like polluters, and which by the way, we only use like edible things. So we use sure. flour <laughs> or we use food coloring or we use pieces of pasta or sultanas to represent different things. And we, we got the kids to actually follow along with us online. So if they were at home, they could have their big bowl of water and they could be adding things to it as we read the story. We were able to still do it online. And I think that at that time when kids weren't able, they were at home or they weren't able to do a lot of yeah hands-on learning, I think it was a really good, a really good thing for, for kids. So we were able to do a bit online. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
this is just a program for New South Wales. So if people, if there's teachers or students or parents in New South Wales who would love to get you guys coming to their school, how do they go about arranging that? The best thing would be to contact our education team. So that email would be on our website and then they'll be able to work out which direction can they be involved. So whether they like what council they're in and if we're working in certain councils or if there's like a sponsorship they can be involved in. But yeah, best thing to do would be to yeah email our education team and see where they can fit in. And we'll include a link to that on the in the show notes of so the Keep Australia Beautiful New South Wales website. But I guess outside of New South Wales, do you know of any or many other programs doing sort of similar programs to what you guys are delivering within New South Wales, but outside of New South Wales? There are a few other NGOs that do somewhat similar topics. I don't believe that there, there are many in New South Wales that are doing the same thing. But outside of New South Wales, the Keep Australia Beautiful brand, I, I guess, organisation itself, there are other areas that are running it. But environmentalist is like the the big kind of, I guess, the big thing that comes out of Keep Australia Beautiful New South Wales. So I think it's quite a special and a flagship, yeah, flagship program that has been around in New South Wales for a really long time and it's got those good working relationships with the schools. So I, yeah, I, outside of yeah, New South Wales, I wouldn't be able to tell you too much, but I don't think there are ones that are running quite as extensively throughout, throughout their states. I guess the offer probably would be there for uh, international uh, groups like in New Zealand, dare I say, or Britain or US. And so I guess if you guys have already developed the program and have got a lot of these sort of content, I'd just be knocking on your door and just going, hey, do you mind uh, sharing a little bit um, <laughs> with us and uh, we can make it a bit more New Zealand-centric or whatever it might be. But yeah, I'm sure yeah. you guys would be keen to assist because ultimately we're all downstream. We're all uh, trying to do the same thing, but just in different parts of the world. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, yeah, collaboration is the way that we move forward. So yeah, if anyone anyone wants to get involved or um, yeah, ask any questions, I, we're always open to that. Now you go around and teach people the whole time. Obviously, you're doing this day in day out. What are you like, you know, with your your mates? Are you, <laughs> you know, are you, are you hard on them? Are you like you go out for a dinner or an event and you're like, hey, don't do this, don't do this? Are your friends inquisitive? Do you try and teach them on what to do? Yeah, no, I'm really lucky that I have a wonderful group of friends that are all on board, and we definitely try to keep each other accountable. But I think it's family is where I think where where I get really I'm like. Dad, do you need to be buying this? Do you need to be putting that there? I think that, yeah, friend-wise, where I'm in a wonderful group of friends that we're always, yeah, keeping each other accountable. But within my family, I think that's where I'm very vocal. But that's okay. I'm happy to be the, the annoying <laughs> sister and just make sure everyone's doing the right thing, getting their keep cups, getting their, yeah, plastic-free lunches. When you're out in the town having your, uh, you know, dinner out at a restaurant, you don't set up the dinner table and have a bit of a slope on it and set up your fake farmland environment and, you know, food <laughs> colorings and here's the waterway and this is what Margaret's doing. Oh, you know. <laughs> No, 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 not quite. <laughs> maybe one day. Maybe it'll depend. I've got to ask the question. So obviously this is focusing on pollution in our waterways from urban environments, et cetera, which is fantastic. Jeremy will know one thing I'm very passionate about is the hashtag plant power, you know, trying to reduce our consumption of animal products to promote yep. healthy people, healthy environments, et cetera. Is there an educational module that sort of does that, promotes, dare I say, plant-based eating. Yeah. So that is not a topic that we focus in on, but we do have a sustainability module where we talk about resource use. And a part of that is to do with agriculture and what we're eating and food miles. So it isn't a topic of choice, but that is something I'm also very passionate about. I am a verified freegan. 
I don't eat plant-based. Well, I try not to eat any meat unless, of course, I'm at someone's house or I'm, and someone's already cooked me something, then like, then I'll eat it. But I think, yeah, I think it's important, but it's not a module that we focus in on specifically. Maybe you guys can start one. Well, can, can I a- tell you right now, <laughs> in, all, in all seriousness, I'm serious. I will lay down some cash to you guys to deliver it because you guys are obviously beautifully set up to deliver this. You're far nicer than I am. I'll come across like, <laughs> like an angry vegan and I'll be like, you know, militant as Jeremy will probably describe me. But in all seriousness, I think it's what it needs. I have a suspicion that like the, the likes of Disney and other sort of uh, media companies who are making movies for kids have a slight vegan tangent themselves. You look at movies like Babe, Fernando, Bambi, they're all about reducing animal suffering and cruelty, which obviously is consistent with the hashtag vegan, angry vegan movement, but they're doing it in a very entertaining, very sneaky way. But I'd love to see something in, in, in um, schools as well. So I'd be more than happy to lay some cash down to crowdfund. And I'm sure there's a whole <laughs> bunch of other angry vegans who will jump on the bandwagon as well. So we'll talk offline about that. <laughs> oh, Victor the vegan. Victor the vegan. <laughs> the whole way through this chat, can I tell you, the whole way through this chat, I've been imagining a Jeremy Brown, a young Jeremy Brown at some age whether it's a nine-year-old, 12-year-old, 14-year-old, and just imagining what he would be like with the keeping <laughs> with one of your amazing, you know, with, with you coming along to a school, Bethany, and talking about ocean pollution. I'm just trying to imagine how Jeremy would react. I'm thinking he'd try and be trying to be real cool and be like, yeah, I don't need to know about this, you know. There was something physical in front of me that I could see uh, that would, would would get me. But if, if, if a teacher was up writing stuff on a, on a whiteboard or a blackboard back in the day like we had, so I'd fall asleep, you know. But if someone shows me something, I mean, that's the whole part of it. I've seen one of the wee displays that you've, you've got, you pour the water down and I mean, it would have got me, mate. Is that right? There you go. Well, what, what would you be sitting there in the mirror, mate, looking at your head? Is there any, any attractive female come to my uh, school? I'll be like, oh my god! <laughs> but uh, whatever she's whatever she's talking about, I'm listening. But uh, in all seriousness, so it actually does sound like like in terms of edu- uh, like effective educational methods. Clearly, to Jeremy's point, the the physical structures and that high interaction clearly is what you guys are, are finding very effective. It's not okay, everyone. Let's, let's read chapter two of the eutrophication manual or I'm going to write or we're going to watch a video or whatever. It's obviously hands-on, physical, interactive. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, like Jeremy pointed out, that's important for kids and especially kids with different like ways of learning. So we always try to keep it physical. We try to keep it fun. And I think that having that fun activity and then bringing them back in for a quick like serious two minutes of like talking really is a good way of getting that point across see it happening be able to yeah physically see it watch something but then to come back in and be like okay this is what this means and this is what we need to do about it i think is the best way to get that across to to anyone that's my point brad i mean some of the most effective presentations we've done have been the most simpler ones absolutely you know when we're I'm sorry, you're getting up there instead of coming up with, you know, figures and this and that. When we're keeping it simple and saying X amount of pollution comes down here and goes out there, you know, when we keep it simple, people relate to it. So I don't think it should just be limited to, to kids. I mean, uh, you know, Fitz, how many presentations have we done? Well, I was just thinking, like, when you were describing this, I'm thinking, what's our typical engineering conference? It's people, engineers or other professionals get up and they've got a 10 to 20 minute slot. They do everything that 
Bethany isn't doing. It's not fun. It's not interactive. It's not physical. And it doesn't work. I mean, how many presentations can you actually remember? Here's an idea. How about we get the setup? And Bridget. And let's go and test it out. I agree. So, Bridget, we've just booked you in for the next two years uh, to go around <laughs> all the engineering and actually uh, political offices and council chambers all across the country. Bring us on. Like, I am there. Yeah, let's do it. There may be a, sne- there may be a sneaky uh, plant power vegan uh, module as well that I'll, that I'll slot in. <laughs> Just let it in on the side. Yeah. While the water's going past this farm, let me talk yeah. about... Little, little cow poo. Uh, well. I think it's a great idea. 100% because we've got to get through somehow. In all seriousness, I guess in the absence of doing that, one thing we can all learn from is the effective educational methods that Bridget and the uh, Keep Australian Beautiful New South Wales campaign obviously utilise. Like we mentioned before, it's it's interactive, it's fun, and it's just physical. Uh, so you can really engage with it. So I, th- I think that's something we can all learn from. Yeah. I think I already know the answer to this question, but we ask almost all our guests, are you optimistic about the future, particularly in relation to protecting our oceans and waterways from pollution. Sorry, sorry, before you answer that, remember our last podcast? <laughs> Jeremy's referring to the fact that we had a chat with a lovely lady called Marina Debris, who you might know. She's an lovely activist lady. from Sydney, uses um, plastic and various art and trash and displays. Her, um, I guess, audience is more adults, I guess, and, or the, I guess the spectrum of society. And and we asked this question of her and she was like, no way, I'm not optimistic. No, no not optimistic. We're, we're staff. But, we're not going to change. <laughs> but... Bridget's obviously talking to the kids and engaging far more with children. So the question is to you, Bridget, are you optimistic about the future? Yes and no. I think that kids, I think they're amazing. I think the next generation below me is all over it. And I think that they are going to make some really big change. And I hope that we can yeah, do that with them. But above me, I see examples of people completely disregarding, disrespecting our waterways and our oceans every single day. And that doesn't give me a lot of optimism. But I think the thing is there that that education for those people was missed. And I think that should be a focus that government and organizations look at as well. I think, yeah, I'm really optimistic about the generation below me, but the generation above me, less so. And that goes to your point, Bridget. There's a couple of generations that actually missed anything to do with the environment. 100%. So how do we effectively communicate to them so that they have an understanding? Like you said before earlier on in the pod, without people having an understanding, then once they get an understanding, then they can make change. So how do we effectively communicate? Do we need Victor the Vegan to do a daytime show for the 15 to 25-year-olds? You know where I'm going with this. I mean, how do we effectively communicate to the forgotten generations of environmental impacts. I don't know, but maybe that's something for you and Brad to conjure up. But it's, it just raises a good point. We're getting the, the children have got a great understanding. Bridget, you're, you're saying the people above you, so you're referring to us old buggers. But realistically, how do you get to the masses? I mean, again, going back to the, the simple, you know, physical shows. I mean, I remember, of course you don't, sex education at school. And we used, did you guys have Harold the Giraffe? Yeah, a healthy Harold or happy Harold. Healthy, ha- healthy Harold. He comes along. And, and I just remember it was like the one day of the year that you got to get out of the classroom and you go, I mean, it sounds pretty dodgy now because you're in this big, big, big dark truck that gets worn around 
and you'd sit there and learn, but you remember that you learn about sex education and whatever that you know helped you. How how do we do that for an older generation? Because you're right. By the time these kids get into power, in twenty years' time, we're going to be on fire more and floods more. I mean, as we all know, we're running out of time. I don't think we've got time to wait for these kids to get into power. So we've got to hit it at, at all levels. Any thoughts? I guess it's to work out where where their media and where their where their platforms that they're interacting with is coming from. I think social media has a really is a really powerful place to do. I think podcasts like this are also ways that you can get that across to to people from different areas, different ages. I think it's just about yeah, investing in education and yeah, whether that be on on the radio, whether that be on the TV, whether that be, I think, media brands taking that on board to be like, okay, we're going to do a two-minute thing on ocean plastics and that's going to come across today. So I think um, there's lots of avenues that we can do. It's just about making sure that, that they, they can be supported, that there's money, there's money to be put into those things. But I think, yeah, I think government needs to play a bigger part in education. I think that some of those, like those litter campaigns that are coming out from the EPA are really, are really interesting and they're really good, but I think we need to go further. I think there needs to be a lot more resources and money put into education on, on all platforms. Yeah. And, and we need to do it collaboratively. Like obviously Keep Australia Beautiful do, is doing a wonderful effort in reaching a whole bunch of kids and teaching them about the future. Obviously, that's the reason why we've done this podcast is to try and reach a, a big audience. And, and it has been successful, bizarrely. Two guys who have got no podcasting or broadcasting or any sort of media experience at all started a podcast. And we get 500 people tuning in every week from all across the planet learning about ocean plastic and, and where it's coming from. And for that, we're really proud of. But obviously, there needs to be more of it. And... Yeah, far more widespread and far more effectively. And you're right. Social media is a very effective way. Like we, we got to face the reality that a lot of people are engaging with their news content via Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn, etc. And it's oh, up to people. Brad who just wants to get on TikTok. I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> the reality is, I don't want to get on TikTok. But the reality is, but if we want to, if we want to be effective in actually reaching a bigger audience, we kind of have to put ourselves out there. Will you get? Will you get the haters? Yep. Will you probably lose a bit of credibility? Probably. But you've got to just cop it on the chin and just um, suffer for uh, y- your uh, art, I guess. 100%. And I'm sure you guys have seen in the recent days is Stanford University in California have come out and done a or completed a pretty big paper on uh, 200 whales, basically. They found that blue whales uh, could be accidentally eating up to 10 million pieces of microplastic every day. Uh, they've, they've discovered that the highest concentrations of microplastics are found at depths between 50 and 250 metres. The biggest mammals on Earth are eating the most amount of plastic. Now, that's come, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but that's just come through in the last few days. So, very, very, very concerning data that's coming out and one that's, I mean, from, from our point of view, there's a lot of talk of um, uh, plastics at the top of, of, or on top of the ocean. Well, now we're learning that our poor whales are down there and then they're just eating just a huge amount of it. So, hey, uh, we might have to land this plane. Sorry to put it on a Debbie Downer. Um, but we love these whales. And, and if you haven't seen it, just Google whales, plastic eating, and it's really concerning. There's no need to sugarcoat the issues. I mean, the, the, the reality is if we don't act effectively and collaboratively and quickly, 
We're screwed, basically. So it does need, essentially, it's an everyone everywhere mission, whether you're a, a school kid, an engineer, a doctor, a housewife, a nurse, a banker, whoever. Uh, we all need to essentially pull up our socks and do better to protect our amazing planet and ultimately us. And I, I certainly think that educational campaigns like the uh, Keep Australia Beautiful New South Wales, Keeping Waterways Clean is certainly a wonderful part of that uh, action. So I take my hat off to Bridget and the wonderful team at Keep Australia Beautiful New South Wales for doing what they do. And all I can say is just keep up the great work. It's been such a wonderful chat with you today, Bridget. I've certainly got a lot out of it. And I can only um, guess what the, the students that you reach on a daily basis must uh, get out of it. So, and I'm, I'm sure they're inspired as much as uh, Jeremy and, and I are today. So well done. It's been super chatting with you. Yeah, cheers. I'll hopefully catch up soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we've got to do that model for a presentation. So. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks for your time today. Oh, yeah, and, and thanks again for your support with our program. Yeah, it goes a really long way. So, yeah, thanks, guys. And, yeah, lovely to meet you both online. <laughs> boom, boom. Shake the room. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.